Friends, before we begin, let me mention that Tracks for the Journey is available in a book series. I've revised and expanded each podcast as an essay for you to enjoy. Search on Amazon with my name and the Tracks for the Journey title. There you'll find Volumes 1, 2, or 3, available in paperback or Kindle edition. Or you can go to my website for a direct link to find these and other resources. Thanks for listening today. On January 6, 2021, I joined millions to watch on live TV the U.S. Senate ratify the 2020 Electoral College vote. It really was kind of boring. But then the unthinkable began to happen. The screen showed thousands of rioters surging towards the Capitol building. Soon the terrorists were inside. You know the terrible results. Deaths, property destruction, impeachment, and now the criminal indictments that are continuing. The fallout from this will continue for years. Shocking to many people were the religious factors in this attempted overthrow of a legitimate election. On the TV screens, we watched as large banners were paraded across the Capitol saying, Jesus saves, along with giant crosses, Bibles being waved, and all mixed with insignias of white supremacy, anti-Semitism, and violence. We learned later that fundamentalist Christian preachers had promoted misinformation with God-given prophecies to declare a holy war on this day. Great numbers of believers gathered for prayer rallies to plead for divine intervention on the night before the big rally so that God would intervene in the ratification of the results. The true patriots, to be loved and supported, were the ones willing to die for this war, to save the nation from what they thought was godlessness, socialism, and people of color taking power. So where did this fervor originate? Lying behind this religious movement is a belief in Christian nationalism. In this episode of Tracks for the Journey, I want to explore this potent mixture of God and country. I want to try and answer a question. Can we love God and America? So exactly what are we talking about when we say Christian nationalism? It's a belief that merges Christianity with American civic life. Specifically, it teaches that to be a good American is to be a conservative Christian. Furthermore, America will only prosper when the God of the Bible is honored in laws, cultural mores, and political power. As Whitehead and Perry describe in their book entitled Taking America Back for God, Christian nationalism contends that America has been and should always be distinctively Christian from top to bottom in its self-identity, interpretations of its own history, sacred symbols, cherished values, and public policies, and it aims to keep it this way. It is a political movement, 
and its ultimate goal is power. It does not seek to add another voice to America's pluralistic democracy, but to replace our foundational democratic principles and institutions with a state grounded on a particular version of Christianity. Answering to what some adherents call a biblical worldview, that also happens to serve the interest of its plutocratic funders and allied political leaders. Once again, that's Whitehead and Perry in their book, Taking America Back for God. Now, you may have heard some statements from people you know or preachers that you've listened to. Statements such as, America was founded as a Christian nation. Our laws should advocate Christian values. They are taking our jobs, living on taxpayer money, and building criminal gangs. Not too long ago, one Christian leader said that President Trump had made mistakes, but Christian nationalism won, with three new Supreme Court justices being confirmed. This reveals the goal of the ideology is not really spiritual transformation, but political influence. Another book, American Blind Spot, written by Gerardo Marty, expresses it this way. Their goal has become to authoritatively enforce behavioral guidelines through elected and non-elected officials, who will in turn shape policies and interpret laws so that they cannot be easily altered or dismissed through the vagarities of popular election. It is not piety, but policy that matters most. The real triumph is when evangelical convictions become encoded into law. But let me share something even darker. The political rhetoric, demonstrations, and ultimately the riot of January 6th revealed another part of this movement. For many people, it is not just Christian nationalism. It is white Christian nationalism. The Christian faith and the American dream are infiltrated with white supremacy, which seeks to fight to maintain dominance over Jews, Muslim, Hindus, people of color, women, and non-Europeans. This is the ugly underbelly of the movement. Heard in the chants of the white marchers, You will not replace us. Seen in the waving of the Confederate flag, or spoken of in school board meetings that resist lessons about diversity in black history. Today, surveys show 40% of white evangelical Christians support using violence, if necessary, to protect their version of America. Think of that. Right now, millions of Americans would support the kind of insurrection seen on January 6th if their ethical and religious values are threatened. Folks, this is serious stuff. Let's continue our discussion of white Christian nationalism by answering the question, so what's wrong with that? First, it's terrible psychology. Racism tears apart the emotional life with anger and anxiety. It shreds the community, dividing people into us versus them. 
racism dehumanizes the object and replaces those other people with negative stereotypes like angry black women, radical Muslims, or Mexican gang members. Suspicion is fostered against the outsiders. Walls are raised to keep the home group pure. There is only emotional security when the racist is surrounded by people who are of that same race or religion. White supremacy lives in the deficit, the fear, and the anger that is toxic to happiness. Even more unfortunate, supremacy has been baked into white culture across centuries. As a white, straight male, I didn't even recognize how much my attitudes have been created in this environment. I've never knowingly discriminated against a person of color. But years ago, I took a dim view of homosexuality. I know that I've benefited from the racisms of the past. I actually now own a piece of land that was won in a war against native people just 146 years ago. One of the final battles in that war took place in the Paladura Canyon of Texas, just a few miles from my current home. The natives, considered savage, pagan, half-humans, were removed by the U.S. Army from the land they had lived on for centuries. And now I own a place of it. This is the result of white supremacy. There's a second thing wrong with Christian nationalism. It is bad political history. We know that the European settlers of America carried an ideology of Christian colonialism. It was a blend of the sacred, the state, and racial superiority. Across the world in that century, the colonial powers crushed the native populations and religions to plant their own theocratic governments— The motivation for this was truly economic gain. With that background, it's even more important to recognize that our founding fathers and the patriots of that century specifically rejected the entanglement of the institutional church and the federal government. This was clearly stated in the First Amendment. These men were Catholics, Protestants, Deists, and Rationalists, who united to create a secular state. The First Amendment actually was written following pleas from a liberty-loving Baptist named James Leland and others, just like him, who met with James Madison. Madison was the famous framer of these documents, and they argued with him about liberty of conscience and against the state being connected with a religion. Ultimately, Madison wrote much of what became the Bill of Rights for the U.S. Constitution. In the centuries followed, dozens of laws and Supreme Court decisions have cemented this principle. Looking at another part of the Constitution, Article 6, where a religious test is prohibited as a qualification for public office, this strong wall of separation is further clarified. If you'd like more information on this, Look at the website of the Baptist Joint Committee, 
a non-sectarian group dedicated to religious liberty. When we look at the evidence, it's clear that the government of the United States is a secular nation. Period. Christian nationalism is not the American way. I'd like to share with you some very exciting news about the Tracks for the Journey podcast. I'm expanding the outreach of the podcast by publishing a Kindle ebook entitled Tracks for the Journey 2020. In this ebook, you'll be able to read the 16 episodes that aired during the year 2020. These episodes have been edited some and some additional material added. They've been made easier to read. At the end of the book is a page citing all the different resources that I used. These essays cover the broad range of everything we talked about during 2020. One episode, Love, God, and You, talked about the uncontrolling love of God and its power to transform our lives. There were a couple of episodes about resiliency and bouncing back from our troubles. There were three episodes about the serenity prayer and what it can mean for our lives. There was one about the Bible and your health. And then another about stress, something we certainly all need to learn about. There was the one entitled The Blue Marble in Crisis, which dealt with the climate change issue. It also contains the most popular episode from 2020 entitled The Matter of Black lives, in which we talked about the issues of racism and justice and what we can do to respond. It's my hope that you'll go to the Amazon Kindle store and buy a copy of this ebook. It'll download to your device using the Kindle app, and you can enjoy reflecting, thinking, and even commenting on these experiences. It's only $1.99. So I hope today that you'll consider your well-being by going back to read the essays of Tracks for the Journey 2020. The final flaw I want to point out in Christian nationalism is it's bad theology. It's worth pointing out that the form of government we have, a representative democracy, is not biblical. I think the majority of Christian theologians would agree that the ideal of the Bible is a theocratic empire centered in Jerusalem, from which God would fully inhabit the temple and rule the nations from the holy city. As we turn to the New Testament, we see Jesus shattering this failed idea with a greater truth. He taught the kingdom of God transcends any nation or race. He rejected the Jewish nationalism of that era to embrace spiritual transformation, not political power. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he commanded Peter to put away the sword and he healed the wounded soldier, a story that teaches a fundamental truth of our faith. He also lifted a prophetic voice against those 
who were in power in the Roman Empire. Speaking of the practice of nonviolent protest in several different parables. As the church grasped the truth of this apolitical kingdom, it spread to live under many different political regimes and cultures, much like leaven spreads through a loaf of bread. It's a tragic truth of history, though. Within three centuries, the leaders of the church wedded their influence to the Roman and Byzantine empires, fostering centuries of repression, war, and intolerance. January 6, 2021 brought echoes of this bad theology to HD television and the floor of the Senate. I'd like to borrow an idea from Amanda Tyler, the executive director of the Baptist Joint Committee, in discussing a Super Bowl ad from a car company. You may have seen it. A rugged actor drives across a solitary landscape to Lebanon, Kansas, a little village near the geographical center of the 48 states. There sits the Center Chapel, a tiny chapel built in 1941. The point of the commercial, beyond the car advertisement, was to promote unity among all Americans, with the voice of Bruce Springsteen asking Americans to, quote, meet in the middle to find the common ground, end quote. The video featured prominent views of the Christian cross. The sentiment of unity is wonderful, but the visuals stray close to Christian nationalism. Americans don't have a national religion, and if you stop to think about it, 115 million Americans are not Christians. I don't know whether they took offense with the overt religious messaging of the center chapel, but they certainly could have, because it portrays that America can only come together if there is a Christian center. In actuality, I believe the commercial should have shown the National Archives in Washington, D.C., where the original Constitution is on display. That's what unites all Americans. We live in a pluralistic religious culture. And if there is unity to be found, it is in that diversity of strength that can unite all Americans, no matter their religious creeds. In every church that I served as pastor, the American flag and the Christian flag stood in the corners of the worship center. The display was never questioned or changed. So today, what is the answer to our question that is the title of this episode? Can we love God and America? The answer is yes, of course we can. Millions of Americans of all faiths and no faith do this today. We can actively engage in our faith and our society. We must be wise in doing so, however. Last year, more than 20,000 Christians signed a bold statement on the subject. Entitled, Christians Against Christian Nationalism, it made some key points. Since I signed it myself, here are a few of the assertions about what Christians who are patriots like this 
can follow in loving Jesus and loving our United States. The statement said, As Christians, we are bound to Christ, not by citizenship, but by faith. We believe that people of all faiths and none have the right and responsibility to engage constructively in the public square. Patriotism does not require us to minimize our religious convictions. One's religious affiliation, or lack thereof, should be irrelevant to one's standing in the civic community. Government should not prefer one religion over another or religion over non-religion. America's historic commitment to religious pluralism enables faith communities to live in civic harmony with one another without sacrificing theological convictions. Conflating religious authority with political authority is idolatrous and leads to oppression of minority and other marginalized groups, as well as the spiritual impoverishment of that religion. We must stand up to and speak out against Christian nationalism, especially when it inspires acts of violence and intimidation against religious communities at home and abroad. Those are the statement of this beautiful document, Christians Against Christian Nationalism. For many of you, these statements sound very normal and not revolutionary. That's good. Let's keep these ideas at the center of who we are as citizens and as voters. Let's come down on the right side of the question. We can love God and America, and we can serve our faith and our brethren as well. Thanks for sharing in this episode of Tracks for the Journey. I'm Larry Payne, your host. I invite you to join me on the Tracks for the Journey Facebook page. I also invite you to email me at trackspodcast at mail.com. Tracks for the Journey is recorded at the Bright Star Studio, all rights reserved. Original music by John Bjork through Epidemic Music. Scripture is from the NIV. I want you to keep on tracking as we go down our journey to well-being.